Blog Talk Radio. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's that special time once again for the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show. And it will be airing live momentarily. This is that place to ask those special questions about PCs, technologies, with your computer, iPhone, and those smart devices designed to work at home and in the office that's supposed to make life easier. We welcome your questions tonight. And please help me welcome the CEO and founder of the Jaymore Connection, Inc., and the star of tonight's show, Mr. John C. Morley. Check us out more at jmor.com. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you're all having a wonderful summer. I know today was a little bit warm. But there was plenty of opportunity to go and uh, take a splash in the pool and sit out in the sun and just kind of relax and take it easy, right? Or maybe you just wanted to take a little stroll around and just kind of walk and enjoy some of the uh, beautiful breeze that was blowing through uh, the atmosphere. So as we're talking a little bit and getting some of your feedback, you know, we're trying to develop shows that are actually going to not only interest you, but are going to be educational and something that you're going to be able to use many, many times over and over again. When we're using a computer and we're playing some games or maybe we're being a little dangerous and doing some web development, there is a protocol that we need to be familiar with, and it's called FTP. Now, I know there's some other meanings for FTP, but please, this is a G-rated show, or at least PG, and uh, we, we can't uh, allow those here on the air. But FTP, for those of you that don't know about it, stands for File Transfer Protocol. So it's a very commonly uh, seen protocol. It's used for allowing us to upload files to a file server. Perhaps you're working on a website and you need to upload a bunch of files to a server. Or maybe you're trying to update a database on a server and you need to send the files up because they're very large and you have to FTP them first and then you can extract them and then add them to SQL or whatever your database be, Postgres, uh, et cetera. So as we talk about FTP tonight, you know, it's uh, FTP is a TCP, Transfer Communication Protocol or Internet IP-based service, and there is no UDP when we talk about TCP. So what's UDP? Well, we're just going to talk about it briefly. UDP is User Datagram Protocol. It's a pretty standard protocol. It's used with the IP network layer. Uh, it was defined by RFC 768, and it was written by John Postel. And it provides, if you will, like a best effort service for one end to another end. So I know you're probably asking me questions. Well, John, what is a UDP versus a TCP? You know, and that's a very, very question. I said, let, you know, let's answer that. So we're talking about UDP. These are going to be services that if a packet gets missed, the communication isn't over. It doesn't really care. It just goes on. 
for example, um, voice over IP, uh, UDP. It missed the packet, it missed the packet, and, and we just go on our merry way. Tunneling. Tunneling uh, can lose packets, but the tunneling itself will actually take care of it, so that'll be okay. We're talking about media streaming, such as whether you're uh, watching a video on your phone or something. That's going to use UDP. And if we miss some of the frames or the picture or the video, it's okay, right? Everything goes along fine. Games that don't really care if every update comes in, that's also going to be a UDP. And let's say systems that actually try to have like an application that's going to basically be able to see itself in other machines. So that's also UDP. And again, we call that user datagram protocol. Now, what I thought I would talk about, because we are talking about TCP tonight, so TCP IP are guaranteed packets. So those are the packets that there's actually some type of tracking to make sure they arrive properly. If packets are not sent properly in a TCP IP type environment or application that's requiring that, the application could end because it doesn't know what to do. In UDP, if a packet is dropped, it still communicates, right? Maybe in voice over IP we get some, some gargled voice, but then it's back on its merry way and we can hear uh, the call just as clear as we did before the interruption happened. But again, it doesn't care if every single packet gets from point A to point B. It just doesn't care. That's UDP. TCP is for things like the web. And having a web come up, and then you're not being able to get through because packets are getting missed and you don't get the website. So that's a TCP. When we talk about SSH, okay, uh, when we talk about FTP, which we're going to talk about tonight, that is going to be for TCP. SMTP, which we'll talk about another evening, IMAP, and POP. Remember, IMAP is the protocol that allows us to connect to the mail server, we're actually working with the actual mail. So when we delete something, it actually deletes the what we're what we're actually working with. Pop. If we delete something, we're really working with a copy, unless we've told the server to delete the messages. So again, very important to understand that TCP and UDP are two type of protocols for communicating on computers. However, UDP is going to be utilized when the communication being put forth doesn't matter if it misses the heartbeat, okay? For example, if we were trying to monitor, let's say, oh, I don't know, a parking lot, and let's say that we were using, okay, UDP to measure the parking lot, okay? Now, UDP, okay, if we were going to use that for cameras and if we missed a beat, not such a big deal, but we wouldn't want to just rely on UDP. We'd also want to have some other systems in place um, without getting into all the parameters of this, some eyes, some motions, and those communications and monitoring those devices would not be UDP, they'd be TCP. Why? Because we want to have proof such as let's say a camera goes down, we're going to go ahead and check two other resources a couple times. 
and make sure that they're up and functioning 100%. And if they're not, then we're going to go ahead and dispatch the police or owners or what have you. Can you imagine running an environment where messages didn't get from point A to point B and you're like, well, I don't know if it got there. Well, maybe you don't care, but if that message getting from point A to point B is a problem, uh, let me give you an example. Let's say, let's picture that we're all pilots right now, hypothetically that is. And let's say that we wanted to communicate the traffic pattern to where the planes were. Now, even though there's a lot of data with all these different planes, and I'm talking about the GPS data, the global positioning data of where the plane actually is sitting at that given moment in a continuum of time, which is all done by coordinates, right? Imagine there just being four or five planes, and they're all communicating their location back to central control, which is all in tandem communicating back with the other planes. Now, let's say a plane comes in from Europe, and we're here in the States, and that plane's trying to land at our airport. Now, another plane is also coming in from Europe, but it doesn't actually know what airspace is clear. So it's going to rely on the system. Great. Can you imagine what would happen if a plane was to be flying? I said, okay, you know, we got too much data to worry about. Uh, let's just use UDP. And if some of the packets don't get through, oh, well, they don't get through. What's the worst going to happen? Well, <laughs> a plane's going to get in trouble because it's probably going to collide with another plane. So, Rosie, well, gee, if it misses a packet, and that packet, especially something that's life critical or something that's very critical, we don't want to trust that to UDP. Because remember, if it misses a packet, like, oh, didn't I tell you that, that the plane coming in from Europe was this way? Didn't I tell you that the plane coming back from Los Angeles was actually on runway A6? Oh, I missed that packet. Oh, you missed that packet, and now you go to make a a landing toward A6, and suddenly you hit a plane. So we can understand the differences. Now, the reason people don't use, so we should use TCP in that type of environment, because we want to communicate and have a tracking to make sure that something getting from point A to point B is actually getting there. And not only is it getting there, but the system is communicating back, because when it communicates back, we now know that the data is being updated. So we're communicating that it gets there, and then we're going to get communication back that, yes, I got your data. Yes, I, and I've also updated. So, yes, I got it. And then another communication knowledge about saying, okay, I've just updated the system, and here's your new updates. Don't take A6. Take A2 because another plane's coming in from Los Angeles there, and you're going to collide. So let's put you on A4. Oops, something else just took up on A4. Oh, let's put you, switch you to A1. So you get how this works. And if we were to do this in just a UDP environment, we'd have a lot of fatalities. Let's just put it that way. I, I want to keep the show happy here. But what I'm trying to explain to all of you, ladies and gentlemen, is that when we have to deal with a situation that is not life critical, or it doesn't really matter if the packets get all packets get there, we can use UDP because the packet or two misses, the communication happens. I'll give you an example. We're streaming a show, and even though the show may miss a beat and you're saying, oh, gee, that's a problem, 
Well, it still keeps going on because there's a lot of data, right? That misses a beat or you, maybe you miss a note or something, but it still keeps going on. TCP IP would be a lot more expensive, a lot more overhead, but in the terms of air traffic control, it's warranted. Now, when we talk about tracking with packages, many of the um, shipping carriers that you know, from the post office down to some of the other big ones, one belongs with a U, one belongs with an F, there's another used to belong with an A, now they got bought out by somebody. If package A has to get to location, let's say, C, but in order for it to get to, or let's say it has to get to location D. But in order to get to location D, it has to go through B, through C, through E, and then to D. Now, let's just say, for example, there's a problem when it gets to C, okay? Well, when it gets to C, there's a problem because it realizes that it can't get to D. What does it do? Well, it has to go back to J, which is also linked to E. So can you imagine what would happen? I mean, packages would just get lost, right? So that's why whenever they do communication, that's really important. Now, when we talk about uh, credit card verification, that's also done through TCP IP. Can you imagine, oh, well, we just missed the number. Oh, well, uh, we'll just approve it. It looks like the rest of the number was okay. No, <laughs> that's not going to work, ladies and gentlemen. So you can see that there is a cost difference for having TCP IP but there are just certain places where it has to be. Can you imagine being on your computer and you type a website? Oh, well, we missed part of it. Uh, we'll just give you what we got. That's going to be useless, right? So UDP has its uh, applications. Gaming is one where the games don't have to have all their updates being checked every couple seconds because it had to have updates that are about positioning. For example, a game that would not work well in UDP would probably be a virtual reality game where we're playing with multiple people. And if, let's say, I miss something, if we want the game to be real, really life realistic, then we have to make sure that we've communicated that point back. And if we missed that point, okay, I missed you. Oh, let's resend the point again until we get confirmation that we got it. Yes, I got it. Okay, great. So now the person on the screen matches where we actually are standing. Okay, so that's important. If we just did UDP, then the players to where they're actually standing and where they are on the screen aren't going to match. And then when you go to shoot somebody, they're not going to be where they really are, and that's going to be a problem. Okay. So that's how that works. So I thought it was important, ladies and gentlemen, to explain to you a little bit about how TCP works and how UDP works. And, um, again, when we're talking about most security, again, when we're talking about tunneling, we don't have to worry about it because the tunneling pro protocol will take care of um, any lost packets. So that part is okay. Remember, the tunneling is actually an encryption. So that's actually going to be happening as an algorithm, and that's going to handle everything bit by bit and check the words and everything so the data is going to be perfectly fine because the UDP, even though it'll miss a beat, the tunneling will make sure that everything stays on track. So kind of what it does, it's kind of like a synchronization to making sure that where I think you are and where you were actually match up, okay? So that's UDP and that's TCP. But what tonight's show is really about, and I had to explain that just to kind of set a stage for this, is we're going to talk about FTP, File Transfer Protocol. And I don't know if any of you have been familiar with it, but we have, we have passive FTP. 
So FTP is a basic service. Again, we said it doesn't use UDP, the user datagram uh, protocol. And it's kind of an unusual service because the FTP utilizes two ports, a data port and a command port. Uh, the command port also can be referred to as the control port. So we will think of these as port 21 for the command, okay, and port 20 for the data. Now here's where the enigma happens. When we find out, depending on what mode we're in, the data port is not always on port 20. That's the part that gets a little confusing. So again, when we find out that the data, that where we are, that depending on the mode, the data port is not always on port 20. So that can be a little bit weird, right? Uh, so on data on port 20, it's actually going to be so 20 to ports greater than 1023. So let's explain a little bit about how this works. So the FTP server first on port 21, from anywhere, will have a client initiate a connection. This is an active. The FTP server will open up port 21 to the ports, which will be greater than 23, and the server is going to respond with a certain type of um, control port, okay? And that's going to respond to the server's client port. So let's review here. So the FTP server on port 21 from anywhere, the client can initiate, initiate a connection. Fine. So the FTP server port, okay, let's say 21 to anywhere greater than 1023, the server is going to respond to the client's control port. Now the FTP server port, which will be 20 to ports greater than 1023, will initiate a data connection to the client's data port. And then the FTP server port 20 for the port will be greater than 23, sending the ACQ and acknowledgement to the server's data port. So what basically happens is this port contacts the server port and sends the, sends the command port, let's say, 1027. The server sends acknowledgement back. The server initiates connection. Voila, the client sends acknowledgement. We're good to go. Now, there's a problem with active mode FTP because it falls on the client side. If the FTP doesn't make the actual connection to the data port of the server, it simply says that the server is listening on, is basically going to connect back to the specified port of the client. So let's repeat that. So the main problem with active um, mode FTP is it actually falls on the client's side, okay? So the FTP client, doesn't make the actual connection to the data port of the server. It simply tells the server, okay, what port is listing on, and the server connects back to the specified port. So it's all being done by the server. All we're doing is requesting something, okay? So it's kind of like, I want you to come over to help me. I ask you to come over, but I don't actually initiate opening the door you open the door and you pick which door you're coming in okay so that's how that works so if something goes a little bonky or whacker wacky with the uh server then your connection may not happen and the client side firewall let's say will appear to be outside the system initiating a connection to an internal client 
So what usually happens is it'll be blocked. So a lot of times, many people cannot process an actual active FTP connection because of their firewall. And again, it's very, very, very uh, common. But passive, so it was set up to resolve the issue of the server creating its own connection to the client on a different method for FTP. So passive mode, or PASV, so after the command was used by the client, you will tell the server that it's in passive mode. That's the first thing that happens. So the FTP client will initiate the connection to the server, solving the problem of the firewall, filtering the connection, the incoming connection. Because remember, in active, the server on your end has to allow the port in. So by FTP passive, uh, it will initiate the connection out, because most firewalls block connections coming back in. And then what happens is you open the FTP connection. The client opens two random ports. Okay, we call them uh, unports. So let's say let's say N will be greater than 1023, and then another one of N being greater than 1023 plus one. So for example, let's say it opened 1023, it would open then 1024. If it was 1050, then it would be 1051. You get the idea. So the first port will contact the server. So let's say it's port 1060, okay? So the first port contacts the server outside from your client on 1060. But instead of then issuing the port command and allowing the server to connect back to its data, the client will then issue a, what they call a passive command. And the result of it is that the server then opens a random port, okay, greater than 1023 and will send back a P to the client in response to the passive command. The client initiates the connection from port, in our case, 1061, because it'll be N plus one on the server to transfer the data. So again, all it does is open the port and then the client side manages, uh, so the connection actually gets managed uh, by the client side. Where in the active side, the connection is actually managed by the server. A lot of people tend to like the active way because they feel there's more control with the server and a secure environment. But passive does have its benefits, especially when we're dealing with certain firewalls and you don't want to necessarily have to contact IT staff, you can use passive. Now, um, to give you more of an example, passive would basically take a little bit more time, okay, to set up. Active, once it's set up and you're done, you're moving, it's very quickly. Because remember, all the controls are coming back from the server. So the server is regulating all the flow. Where on this end, you're regulating all the flow. And then sending that command back to the server. So it's taking a little bit more time. So now that we understand a little bit about active versus passive FTP, I think we can actually go in and talk about an FTP program. One of my favorites is called FileZilla. You can actually Google it. It's F-I-L-E-Z-I-L-L-A. It's on uh, source. Uh, you can just go to source uh, forge project. And you just Google it. And you will see that when you install FileZilla, um, actually the latest one right now, I mean, they're, they're, they're always updating them. I think right now today's, uh, and again, this can change by the time you're listening to this recording, uh, let's say the uh, latest one today is 3.1.9.0, okay? 
and uh, that happens to be their their uh, 64-bit version. So when we open a FileZilla, we are going to be greeted with basically a, um, if you will, a kind of a, a screen. And the screen is going to have at the top, we were familiar with menus here, one of them is going to say File, okay? Another one is going to say Edit, View, Transfer, Server, Bookmarks, and Help. So why don't we dig into these a little bit so we can kind of understand what it is that these uh, actually do. So under the File menu, we have File, and then we can click on Site Manager. Remember, we could also do Control-S, so that would make it really easy. So the Site Manager is actually where we can go and add new sites and actually store passwords uh, for those particular sites. Very easy, very, very simple to do. And you have then, uh, you can actually create general, you have the host name. The host name is going to be, let's say it's myserver.com. You generally want to put in, uh, you could put in the domain name is, okay. Um, if you were going to be connecting to more of a private server, then you might have been given by your IT professional or by your company's IT department, you'd be given an IP address. Now, I have to caution you. There are some FTP servers that you'll attempt to connect to, and they will not allow you to connect. And the reason is that maybe that server's got very sensitive information on it, and it will only allow certain IPs to connect, or certain laptops, or if you're in within a domain, you'll be able to connect. So these are just some of the rules that could be set up by uh, IT companies like ourselves and also internal IT firms. We have a term here for general, okay? And in addition to general, um, we have something here that says uh, protocol, FTP, file transfer protocol, and then we have SFTP. So SFTP, uh, we didn't talk too much about SFTP, but SFTP stands for Secure File Transfer Protocol. So SFTP um, actually uses a different port. Can anybody in the chat room tell me uh, what port it uses? Okay. SFTP uses port 22, but it can be configured to run on nearly any port. But again, if you're connecting to a standard server, you're going to connect to channel, excuse me, port 22. If you're doing standard FTP, then you're going to be connecting to, just like we said before, port 21. Okay. So, Let's just say, for example, I wanted to connect to my server, and I'm using Secure, then I would use SFTP, SFTP or we call it SH, SSH File Transfer Protocol, okay? Uh, secure File Transfer Protocol. And we have the login type. We can go where it says anonymous, normal, ask for password, interactive, or account. Anonymous means that... When it is an anonymous type site, it's not going to require a password. If I change this to normal, then I would have a spot for user and password. You would ungray that out. If I go to ask for password, then it's going to prompt me. I'm going to be able to put my username in, but it's going to prompt me for the password. Okay, me for security. Interactive, um, very, very similar. It's going to work just like the ask for password. It's just going to be a little similar to that. Uh, account. 
This is where we'll have a username, a password, and then maybe an account. Uh, you'll have this on larger servers where you'll have to have a username, a password, and then they want to know what account you're logging into. Okay. And uh, then we have something here we can change the background color to like from none to to red to green to blue to yellow to cyan to magenta to orange. So let's say I want to change it to orange, for example, and I'll say okay. Okay, it will go ahead and it will change my color to orange. Now, if we click over here, we see where it says advanced. We have server type. We have default, auto detect, which is what I generally recommend. If you're having problems connecting, because some servers can be picky, uh, such if you're talking to a Unix server, they can be really picky. You may want to connect to Unix. But again, if you're using a server that's been built in the last four to five years, it should auto detect should work just perfectly. Uh, some VMSs are going to require you to check VMS depending on what version's loaded. Um, are you connecting to DOS with backslash and separators? Are you using an HP nonstop? Are you using DOS like with virtual paths? Are you using a side UN? Uh, those are some other ones that you might have seen. Now side UN. Side UN is actually uh, it's a Linux environment for Windows, and it makes it possible to port software running on on POSIX systems, such as Linux, uh, BSD, and Unix systems uh, to Windows. So just a little bit of a, a quick a quick review. I don't want to get too into that. Uh, we have a bypass proxy. If we want to bypass the proxy, we can check that. Uh, local default directory, and I can that would. And that's where I'm going to be able to upload files to or download files to for this particular login. Do I want to use synchronized browsing? Uh, so this way it'll synchronize my left side to my right side, which will be my, let's say, my computer side to my server side. Do I want to use directory comparison? I can check that or not so it can match the directories. Adjust server timeout offset. You can do that. On but you just transfer settings. Do I remember we talked about the default? Default is what your server is going to auto recognize, which is going to probably be active. If you want to force active, you can. You want to force passive, you can. 99% of the time, your server is going to connect in the active way. Okay. Limit number of simultaneous connections. Now, what you may want to do is bump this up to, let's say, I don't know, maybe you want to bump it up to four or five or six or, or whatever have you. The thing about this is that when you bump this connection up, you have to realize that some servers you're connecting to some data centers, they may have a limit. Let's say, oh, I want to bump it up to 50. Well, you might be limited to 20. Or you might be limited to 10. So make sure you check with whoever your um, internet service provider is. Uh, if it happens to be us, you can check with us, and we'll let you know how many connections uh, that you're allowed to make on your server and how many uh, of those may be FTP or SDP. Um, connected files. Very important to find this information out. If you don't find this information out and you decide, oh, I'm just going to try it, well, you're actually going to lock out your system and uh, you're going to have a lot of people a little bit angry at you at the office. It looks like it's time to take a break, Brian. Is it okay? So listen, we're going to take a break. You stay right where you are and we'll be back after this quick break. 
have data that needs to be destroyed? Don't take a chance. Let the experts at the Jmore Connection completely destroy and eliminate your data. For over 15 years, Jmore has been helping companies all over New Jersey with data security, destruction, and IT needs. Call 877-767-5667. Jmore meets federally mandated data disposal policy. Call 877-767-5667 now. Thank you so much, Brian, and we are back. So those of you, if you're just joining us, we are talking about FTP. Now, before you get scared, file transfer protocol. And it's important to understand what different things mean. You probably say, why do you want to bother with this? So I'm not a real techie. I understand. If you can just understand a little bit about how a program works, it can actually help you troubleshoot it and make your life a lot easier if you understand kind of what's under the hood. And we're talking about FTP. And tonight, we started going into a free program that Again, we use it a lot of professionals use, and it's called FileZilla. Now, there's other ones out there like Qt FTP, and I mean, there's there's a bunch like Switch, a, a dozen of them, excuse me, that you can go out there and get. The issue is that if your program does what it needs to do, why not use a free program, right? And a lot of the projects on SourceForge have updates. They warn you when there's updates and stuff like that. So they're, they're great little programs. A lot of times they don't come with a lot of documentation, but pretty easy to use. Now, you have a connect button. I haven't put anything in. If I did, I click connect. I can manage my sites right from there. I have a file export tab. Select the carriers to export. Export site manager entries, export settings. Maybe I move files to another computer and I want to export everything. And this way, when I come to the other computer, I can just pop everything right in nice and easily and very simply. So we have the new tab, which is Control T. So what Control-T does is it actually opens us up another tab where we can actually have a separate server connection to a different server. You can just click on the X, and that will just drop away. Now, show files currently being edited. If I click on that, it would show me the files that are currently being edited at the current moment. Let's jump over to the edit uh, menu, shall we? So we have edit. We have edit uh, network configuration wizard. So this wizard will help you properly configure any routers and firewalls. So you can literally go to next. And it asks you things like, please select the default transfer mode you'd like to use. The default mode is passive. Um, you could change it to active, allow fallback to other transfer modes on a failure. Okay. So again, that's something very wizard. And you can walk things very easy and very simply. Clear private data. If I click on clear private data, you have the option of clearing my quick connect history, my reconnect information, my site manager entries, and my transfer queue. Okay. Under edit, we can go to settings. And here is where we have our general settings for the program. So we have something here that says connections. Okay. And we can just minus and we can expand them. So the first one says connections, and if we're to take this, let's say, let's take this all the way down to nitty-gritty. Let's expand connections, and under connections, we're going to see FTP, we have active, and we have passive. So active says, I don't have anything limited. The lowest available port I'm going to allow, uh, I didn't have any limits, but there is a limit of 6,000, 7,000 if I turn on that little uh, checkbox, but I'm going to leave that off so there's no limit. Active mode. In order to use active mode, FileZilla needs to know your external IP address. Ask your operating system for the external IP address. 
So again, this happens automatically. It's kind of a query that happens. And you can also do things like get external IP address from like IP.x, like a IP-Filezilla project. You can get it from like um, IP chicken, etc. cetera. Uh, so there's lots of different play ways you could do that. But Azure operating system is the default and it is required before you can actually do an active connection, the system needs to know your IP address. Um, if we jump into passive mode, we're going to have use a service external IP address instead. Some mis misconfigured remote servers, which are behind the router, may apply with their local IP. So use the server's external IP address instead or fall back to active mode. Okay? Uh, FTP. Type of FTP proxy. None. User at host. Site, open, or do you want to use a custom? So SFTP. So we can So by doing this, we can actually make a connection uh, secure by using uh, the encryption keys if you have an encryption key for your server. Uh, we've talked about SSLs and other sessions, so I'm not really going to go into that. But if you do have the proper public key and private key, when you connect, you will have that added encryption. Generic proxy, type of generic proxy, none. Are you using HTTP 1.1 using a connect method? Are you using a SOC version 4 using a SOC version 5? Are you using a proxy host? Okay, so once you check anything but none, it's automatically going to ask you, when you check actually HTTP 1.1, all the lines will highlight. When you check SOCs 4, you'll notice that only proxy host and proxy port highlight, but proxy use is gone and proxy password is gone because that's not used in SOC 4 connections. SOC 5, everything is used. Okay? So just note that using a generic proxy will force passive mode on an FTP. We'll use it tonight. Let's go into the transfers. So we have here under transfers, we have maximum si simultaneous transfers. Um, maybe you want to make that four, but again, Make sure you understand uh, what that is. Limit for concurrent downloads, okay? Limit for concurrent uploads, and you want to check with your service provider and make sure that you're not going over any thresholds. For example, you set that to 100, your service provider is probably going to block you and say that you're way over your limit, okay? Enable speed limits. Do I want to enable speed limits? Certain ISPs actually have a block on how fast you can upload and download. So you can set your download limit to 100 kilobits per second, your upload to 20, or you can leave it unchecked and there will be no limit. Filter invalid characters. Enable invalid character filtering. When enabled characters that are not supported by the local operating system in file name, replace if downloading such a file. Replace invalid characters, and by default, it's just doing it with the little uh, lower uh, the lower dash, uh, which kind of like the uh, the the, uh, the underscore. So the following characters will be replaced, and it just tells you which ones. Backslash, forward slash. Uh, you have your colon, your star, your question mark, your quote, your less than sign, your greater than sign, and you have your pipe command. Pipe actually, which is actually. Um, 
uh, right on your key. If you were to use your shift, it's actually the key right above your enter. You'll see a lot of you have the keyboards where that has the, uh, the backward slash. It's the one above that on the same key shift, and that will give you the pipe. Pre-allocate space before downloading. Um, depending if your space is tight, you can do that. Just to make sure you don't go through this whole thing. Oh, I ran out of space, right? So that's, that's handy if you're concerned about space. File types. Default transfer is auto. So you have auto, you have ASCII, you have binary. Sometimes when you do a transfer, they will say, gee, you need to do this transfer in binary mode, especially if there's maybe a, a web script you bought. They'll say, well, gee, make sure you upload it in binary mode, okay? Um, because sometimes the autos will actually wind up corrupting or changing the permissions in a way that they really don't want. So that's really important. Now, treat the following file types as ASCII. And then there's a whole list of them. I'm not going to read those for you. Treat files without extensions as ASCII or treat dot files as ASCII. So um, when we're talking about the, the downloads, we have the actions such as ask for action Overwrite the file, overwrite file if source is newer, overwrite file uh, size differs, resume file transfer, rename the file, and skip the file. Very, very important. You also can allow resume of ASCII files. Resuming ASCII files can cause problems if the server uses a different line encoding format than the client. And that's why it's very, very important that we make sure that we are actually doing it the proper way and that we are doing in binary. So we've covered a lot there. So let's close out of the transfer section. Let's click on, let's uh, maximize the interface section by clicking on the plus next to it. And we're going to be, uh, we got a couple of things here. So in our interface, we have things like the layout. Do we want to do classic? Do we want to do explorer? Do we want to do widescreen? Do we want to do blackboard? So let me go through a couple of these. So by default, it's classic. So I'm going to change this layout to explorer. And you'll see what it does. It looks very similar to the Explorer in your computer. If I go to widescreen, uh, then we have our widescreen and we have the two big boxes. Or I can go to Blackboard, and then Blackboard has eight there on the side. Uh, I tend to like the one that's classic, has the nice windows on both sides, very easy to navigate. Swap the local and remote panes. Okay, maybe you want your local to be on the right instead of your local to be on the left. I am always used to my local being on the left and my server being on the right. It, I know that whenever I push to the right, I'm pushing the server. So I've always kind of, it's like a creature of habit. I've always kept it that way. I recommend whatever way is going to work for you, just leave it that way. Don't keep going back and forth because what's going to happen is one day you're going to do a file transfer. You'll be like, oh. Am I, did I just overwrite my server? Yeah, you did. <laughs> Is it time for another break? You're killing me. All right. Well, listen, ladies and gentlemen, we got a little more to do, but we got another break. So you stay right where you are. We got a great commercial coming your way right now. For IT services and data destruction, the J Moore Connection should be your direction. Engineer technology to grow your business. Our custom solutions are at your service. JMOR should be your direction. 
if you just joined us, we've been talking about uh, we've been talking about TCP, uh, UDP. We've been talking about how there are differences between the two of them and why TCP is uh, used for certain things such as FTP because it's a guaranteed delivery method and user data game protocol is not guaranteed. If a, if a packet or a byte misses beat, no big deal. It just goes on like nothing ever happened and continues on. Okay for things that we don't really care about, but when we have situations like we talked about air traffic control, we wouldn't necessarily want to rely on UDP to send large amounts of information. We want to get guaranteed information that the system knows where my plane is and that it's updated us to where the other planes are correctly. So uh, that's where we are there. So we're talking about interface. We're talking about different modes. And now uh, we're talking about the position of the message log. So it can be above the file list. It can be next to the file transfer queue. Okay. Uh, it could be a tab in the transfer pane, okay, um, or we can put it back to above the file list, okay. So, again, that is the position of the message log. Some people like that actually on the side. I tend to like it above the file list. I think it works good there. Behavior, do not save passwords. If that's checked, then you're not saving passwords. Minimize the tray. Do you want to be able to minimize it to the tray? Prevent system from entering idle sleep during transfers and other operations. That's important to have that checked. Show the site manager on startup. You can have that, so this way when you start it, you can actually go to pick which site you're going into, and this way you don't have to be typing them in. So that's really handy. When starting a new connection while already connected, do you want to ask for an action, connect to a new tab, or connect in the current tab? So again, it asks you for the action of one of these two, or that's if you have asked for action, or you can just have it default to one of those two options. Transfer queue, display queue, display momentary transfer speed instead of the average speed. If you check that, it will display the momentary transfer speed instead of the average speed. Okay, so that's if you check it. By, by default, um, it is going to show you the transfer speed. Okay, so that's in layout. Uh, so we're actually we're 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 in interface. Um, so we're in inter that's all an interface basically. It's kind of in we're getting in a layout. Now we're into themes. So we have things like Open Crystal. There's a whole bunch of different ones you can you can pick. Uh, you know which which ones you like. And when you change your themes, it's actually going to have an effect on which icons are going to be used. Um, I, I tend to like the classic one. Other people might like Tango. Again, I, I just tend to like classic. I think it makes a lot of sense. The icons are very intuitive there. And um, what they actually did is each person that worked on something actually has an email address. So if you have questions, you can actually email them. Uh, some of them have that, not all of them, but most of them have emails to email these people and let them know your thoughts or your questions. Because I think that's a, that's a real nice, again, because when you talk about a source project, um, it's a, a collaboration of programmers that just want to do good for the world, and that's why they distribute these things to try to help others, and they're really not getting paid for it. 
they're just trying to make the world a better place by knowledge of the world by giving it away. So that's kind of uh, something that's really nice. That's what's great about SourceForge. Uh, date and time format, do you want to use the system default for current language? Do you want to use the ISO 8601, such as the year, uh, four-digit year, then dash the month, then dash the day? That's kind of like the European way. Or do you want to do a custom and then you can actually put in the actual percent Y uh, or percent M in whatever order you want or percent D, and then you can put dash to separate them. So you can either put them in any order you want, just putting in the variables in the workplace. I'll leave the system default. Time formatting. So that was the date formatting. Same thing for time formatting. We have the standard format. We have the ISO, which is like 5047, which is actually the military time. Then we have custom, where we can actually show uh, hours and minutes. But if we use the system default for the current language, it will use our standard, which on my system happens to be um, the 12-hour uh, format with the AM and the PM. File size formats. Display size in bytes. Do I want to uh, have the uh, IEC binary prefixes, uh, for example? So instead of it being 12, it would be 12B. Uh, do I want to use binary prefixes? I can do that. Or do I want to do decimal prefixes? I can do that. Or do I just want to display the size in bytes? Okay. Uh, binary is very handy. So 12B, 12 bytes. Um, again, I think that's really handy. And then you have the decimal prefix, which again is uh, very, very handy. And then it gives you the totals there, which is kind of nice. You can also change the amount of decimal places that are actually in there very easy and very, very simply. So let's get more into settings. So we talked about interface. Um, next thing we have is language. And what I like about this is there are quite a bit of languages that you can pick from. Um, I have my default on English, of course, but there's quite a few in there from Arabic all the way down the list to Welsh, um, quite a bit. Um, I'll just minimize the interface, and I'll go back to file editing. And in file editing, do not use a default editor. Use the system's default editor for text files, or use a custom editor. So that's very handy. Um, and you can specify a command line as to where, to, where um, it should be properly quoted. You can put that in there so it would pull the appropriate file, so you don't have to go searching for it. Use file types associations if available, or always use a default editor. Or watch locally edited files and prompt to upload modifications, which is what I have checked by default. If you make a save and it catches a save, would you like to upload this file to the server? It warns you, and then you can replace it. Updates. So typically with FileZilla, I have it set to check once a week. When checking for updates, stable versions only, stable and beta, stable, excuse me, and beta versions or stable, beta, and nightly versions. Don't do that last one because you'll be updating it every single day and you'll be screaming and saying some four-letter words because the program's not going to work right because there's going to be a lot of bugs in there. So it's always good to take the stable versions only. Um, you can also check the run update check right away. And right now it says that I'm currently using the latest version of FileZilla, which if you remember from before, um, I actually gave you what that was. So I'll tell you that in a second. Logging, you want to show timestamps in the message log. Log to a file. Very handy if you're getting errors when you're uploading things. 
Do you want to show the debug menu? Do you want to show none, warnings, infos, reverse, debug? Or do you want to show the raw directory listings? Okay. I'll say okay to get out of here. But again, help and about was 3.1.9.0. So FileZilla is a real quick and dirty, very nice program uh, that you can use to do all kinds of great uploads and uh, downloads from your server. Uh, the view just has a menu where you can talk about refresh. Uh, you can actually get into your file name filters here. Uh, I'm not going to get into this, but you can actually specify things like your CVS and your SVN repositories if you're uh, doing code sampling and trying to pull down for a repository server. You can do that right from there. Uh, we also have things like directory comparisons, compare modification time, compare file size, enable that, hide identical files. Okay. Uh, again, very, very handy, very, very simple to use, but you have to remember that you have to enable it for it to work uh, right under view. If I want to turn off my toolbar, I can do that by just clicking on it. Do I want to use my quick toolbar, my message log, my local directory tree, my remote directory tree, or my transfer queue? Remember, your remote directory tree is what's on the server. Transfer. So we have process queue, default file exists, action. Um, transfer file, preserve timestamps of transfer files, speed limits, we can enable that and we can configure that. Right now my download limit is set to be 100 and my upload limit is set to be 20. Okay, if you put zero in there, um, it will go pretty, pretty quickly. Okay, um, just giving you some, uh, some interest there to how that works. And if we come over here, I just want we're almost done with this program. We have service. We have reconnect, search, remote, for sh uh, showing hidden uh, files. We have bookmarks. Works very similar like in other places. So you can go. Bookmarks are different than. They're different than uh, site manager because what a bookmark is going to do is that's going to get you to a certain spot. But it's not going to get you to a site. That's what the site manager do. So you might have different directories where you want to pull files from or send files to, respectively. So you have a help. You have a show welcome dialog. Uh, you also have the ability to uh, get help. And when you click on get help, it brings you to the FileZilla project website. So if you're going to be sending and receiving files, uh, FileZilla is a great quick and dirty program. It works just as well as some of the other professional programs I've seen out there. When you go to connect, if you're not using the site manager, you just put the host name in or the IP, username, the password. And remember, the port we talked about, that if we are going to be doing an FTP port, an FTP port is going to be port 21. And remember, we said an SFTP port. Who remembers the answer to that? It's going to be 22. And that's pretty much how, how that's going to work. Uh, it's pretty easy to use. And then you just go click on, you have Quick Connect, or you have something here that says Clear Quick Connect Bar or Clear History. And then it also has all of your different uh, logins right there. So when you click on something, it'll actually pop up the information, and it's just going to ask you for the password. So again, it's a very simple, very quick and dirty program. It works really well. There's even an option on this that says report a bug, and you can go right on the site and you can report the bug.
Again, it's completely free. It's very easy to use. I know you'll find it really easy. And um, it's just really flexible. There's just so many things that you can do with FileZilla that you wouldn't expect to be able to do with a free program. I hope tonight you have learned a lot about what TCP IP is and the differences between the TCP IP mostly and UDP and why we have these two and what each of them are good for. And also, I hope you learned a lot about FTP and um, I hope that even if you don't decide to choose and use FileZilla, at least maybe you'll download it, check it out, and um, give it a spin. Like I said, there's other programs out there. It's free. If you don't like it, you can always uninstall it. It comes with an installer. It's really, really simple to use. And uh, my only question is, why not try it out? It's very quick. It's very easy. And it's supported by a lot of different servers out there. And uh, I know a lot of great things are happening. I want you to check us out, especially on uh, our Twitter, which is um, – you can find us right there at um, Radio, uh, Radio Jaymore. Uh, you can also find us at a Jaymore Connection Twitter. Uh, you can check us out on Facebook, um, Jaymore Connection. Please like us, share us, tweet us. Tell your friends about us. Our show is really hot. And we really appreciate your comments, all your feedback, and I hope that you choose to uh, take this knowledge and help make your life a lot better or help make someone else's life a lot better. I got to go. This has been a wonderful night. From all of us at the Jaymore Connection Incorporated, we'd like to thank you for listening tonight and invite you to join us again next Monday at 11 p.m. Eastern Time. Be sure to tell your friends and associates about the Jaymore Radio Show. And call in live. Be sure to call us early next time so you can get on air too. The Jaymore Connection. We're engineering technology to grow your business. And you can chat with us right now at jmor.com or call us at 800-208-5155. Thanks so much for stopping by and have a great night. Good night, everyone.